podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people? That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Thanks so much for listening. And it is time. It's time to announce the winners of our giveaway. I'm sure you've heard this, you read the email, but I have a new podcast. It's called The Week on Earth. In fact, we just wrapped up season one, 10 episodes ranging from a story about how toilet paper is killing one of our most precious resources in the boreal forest to a new way to recycle, how we fix the ozone layer, and much more. Go check us out. Follow, subscribe. It's called The Week on Earth. But for those that entered the giveaway and subscribed and let us know, we appreciate it. And I will now announce the winners and I will also follow up with you all via email. All right. Our first winner is Karen Nichols. Karen, congratulations. Our second winner is Holly Clary. Holly, also congratulations. And our third and final winner is Olivia Hubbard. So I will be emailing all of you and we will get your address so we can send you what you won, which was either a Fitbit or a Kindle based on how the drawings went. Congratulations. And by the way, just because the giveaway is over doesn't mean you can't still listen and enjoy. It is a phenomenal podcast called The Week on Earth. All right, back to Smart People Podcast. Speaking of phenomenal, so excited to bring you this week's episode on a brand new topic and one that is very timely for me as I just spent Sunday watching football. This week on the show, you also get two for the price of one because we are talking to Ben Valenta and David Sickerjack about their brand new book called Fans Have More Friends. And yeah, it's probably what you think it is. It's a book about the camaraderie of fandom, but it's a smart people podcast book because it talks about how sports fans exhibit stronger measures of well-being happiness, confidence, optimism. It talks about how we can leverage the global nature of sports to have more in common with each other, to start conversations, to bridge gaps. It's a wider ranging discussion than just, hey, you should enjoy sports. And that's what I want to do here. Always learn something new. Ben Valenta is the SVP of strategy and analytics for Fox Sports. David Sickerjack founded Dexterity Consulting, a strategy and analytics consultancy that artfully blends research, analysis, and empathy to transform how brands think. Make sure you have that follow, subscribe button on Smart People Podcast. We've got a lot of excellent episodes and new guests that you will enjoy coming up, and I don't want you to miss them, so be sure to follow. Let's get into it as we talk with Ben Valenta and David Sickerjack about their brand new book, Fans have more friends. Enjoy. So I was just professing my sports obsession with you. And and, uh, one of the hardest things is trying to convince my wife that the couple hours I might spend on a weekend watching golf or the 
many, too many hours I spend on Sunday watching football, trying to convince her it's a worthy task. And Ben, you actually started alluding to the fact that there is some science behind that. And I know that's what the entire book's about, but give us a little teaser about the impact and the benefit of being a fan. Yeah. So what we were talking about is just uh, as we started to work on on these ideas and we started to lay them down into a book and, and we're going to kind of give you the am- ammunition the next however long we, we, we speak will be all about the ammunition. Our mission here is to uh, help fans realize that their fandom is powerful, that they should embrace it, that they should lean into it because it, it benefits them. I mean, our line that we use and we use it in the book is, you know, your fandom is good. It's good for you. It's good for others. It's good for society. Um, and, and so as we were, were starting out, having some of these conversations and we're having casual informal conversations just with friends, you know, in the backyard with neighbors, um, you know, in the, in the front yard, tossing the ball with the kids and, and chatting with, with people. And we would explain some of these ideas, kind of get into it. And sometimes we're kind of workshopping some of the ideas. Sometimes we're just sort of talking about what's going on at work and people would, would stop us down and say, Hey, wait, I need you to, I need to bring my wife over. I need you to do this bit again for my wife uh, or my girlfriend, because I try to tell her that it's important that I go do this. And she tries to, to you know, sort of um, push it off as something that's kind of trivial, um, fatuous. And, and what we're here to do is talk about why your fandom is important, right? And why you should lean into it. And, and I think what the, the, you know, the, the, the findings we'll get into, some of the science we'll get into, where the, what the data says is that your life's going to be better off if you lean into your fandom. Before we get into what you both do, because we need a little bit of an intro, have you ever had somebody say, listen, I think you both are tied to the sports industry It's uh, in some way. Doesn't it make sense for people in the sports industry to tell other people that they should be fans? Like, that, doesn't that come across as a convenient marketing line? We've certainly heard that and we've had that conversation. And, and the, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, and this, this maybe is a segue into the background a little bit. Um, what we do, our, our, our day jobs, as it were, is to understand fans, right? And, and this really started as a professional obligation. Um, the more we dug into it, the more the data revealed uh, the, the power that kind of uh, sits under, underneath fandom that we, we tend to not notice. And it became, it, we, we, it went from professional obligation to, to sort of personal mission. Um, we became evangelists, we became advocates um, because effectively what the data tells us is that fans are, are happier. They feel a greater sense of belonging and connection to the world. And I think if we take a step back and look at the society, the society we have now, we all would want those things. We want more happiness. We want more connection. We want more fulfillment. We want more engagement with society. Um, and, and we have at our fingertips a tool that we can leverage to get to those things. Now, it doesn't solve everything for us, um, but it does help us help push us in the right direction. And I think that that's the important thing. So so are we shills for the sports industry? Uh, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know so that I can I, necessarily I, I, solve I, that. But We're not shills here. It's Because we're saying, I mean, the story we put together here, or the, the kind of the narrative for the sports fan, you will understand it. Some of it might be surprising. But it's something no one's was talking about before. Like they're talking about aspects of this. This is, you know, it's our book, so it's new. It's got to be new. We, we we came up with or discovered this all. But it's not something that was kind of in the ether there. It does, as we are advocating for you as a fan, you should lead into it. It's good for you, good for others, good for society. Is going to be good for the sports business. But that was, that's not our objective here. We, you know, we initially started off as a sports business book as we were kind of, you know, coming across some of these findings. Um, 
but then thought we thought there was a bigger story to tell and a more inspiring story to tell to for for sports fans. If you're you know if you're invited to a fantasy league, you know there's gonna be drafts happening all over the course. I have one tonight, um, over the next couple, next week and a half. Do it. Because it's good for you. It's good. You're, you're going to be interacting with 11 other people. And yeah, you're, it's going to be a pain on Sundays when somebody kicks a field goal and you, you know, you lose, you had it, you had a big lead and everything. But it, it's not about that. What it's about is then texting your friends and saying, oh, you beat me this week. I'll get you next time. And all those like seamless, minimal interactions are actually quite good for you and quite positive. And in our society, we need more of those. We need more opportunities to say, Hey, hi, you see that game. And then after that, it's like, Oh, how are you doing? How's work going or, or whatever. But it's really the game is the intro to all those other conversations, which lead to those benefits Ben's talking about. Yeah, Dave, I'm glad you said that because that's what grabbed me about this idea, right? You said we need more of that. And I would agree with you even, even more so in a post pandemic world as we're reintegrating into society. I mean, we continue to get further and further from each other as humans and as relationships. And you use the line, which every person really has probably used at some point, right? How about that game last night? How about them Cowboys? You know, how about the Tiger Wood? How about whatever? It's in the ethos. It's in the societal culture. It's a norm that's easy. It's safe. It's approachable. It's fun, but it's an opener. Is the safety of it part of the thing that allows it to be this social lubricant? Absolutely. The The versatility of sports, I think, is, is, is critical here. Sports can be the foundation of your relationship with your father and also the thing that you just head nod to the stranger on the street. Uh, and have a have an interna- interaction quickly with it, it's that ability to kind of fit these different circumstances and and anchor these different interactions that makes sports so powerful. That and the fact that it exists at scale, right? Yeah. There's nothing specifically unique about sports other than I can walk in. If you plot me into a bar, any city in the country right now, um, the chances of me being able to gin up a conversation with a perfect stranger using sports is much higher than using some sort of other cultural uh, trope. Game of right? Thrones. Like, yeah. Right. right? Pearl House Jam. Of, House of the Dragons comes out. I, 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 it's not a guarantee that I sit in a bar, uh, whether it's in San Francisco or, uh, you know, Sioux City, uh, and, and can, you know, gin up a conversation about Game of Thrones. Pretty safe bet if I bring up the NFL, I'll be able to have a, a, a meaningful interaction with someone. That's a really good point. I, I was wondering that. What is it about sports specifically? And is it the ubiquitous nature of it's everywhere? And on a percentage basis, you know, more than half of people are interested in some sport. Is that really what it boils down to, you think? Yeah, it's, it starts with the scale. So you, you know you're going to have that interaction. But even you get into some, some niche here. It is safe, as you said. Um, it's always it's always live. It's, it's, there's always something new. There will be something new every single week, something else to talk about. Game of Thrones, it, it's locked. You could talk about um, the show um, and which season was the best or which shows or whatever, the characters, but it's always going to be new. There's a new conversation to be had. And, you know, the other, it doesn't matter. You could have an absolutely wrong take about it and it, it doesn't matter because what you're actually doing is just interacting with the other person. But it has all these, it, it's easy to kind of get in. You could strike up the conversation. Even if you're not a fan, 
and you know, you're a Cowboys fan. You can ask, well, how are the Cowboys going to be this year? And every, yeah, I'm not a Cowboys fan, so we, use, we just use it as a, as a universal <laughs> uh, example. Um, but every Cowboys fan is going to be happy to talk about why they are. Um, uh, I'm a Yankees fan, so I I can go in, you know, we could use the rest of this time to talk about the Yankees, but um, because we're, as sports fans, we're happy to talk about those things. So, and it's easy to talk about. And there's no, you could also have, the, the beauty of them is you could have, I could call somebody out like a Cowboys fan. Um, you know, we do focus groups regularly and, you know, I, the opening gambit is like, well, tell, you know, introduce yourself, where you're from, what you do and what teams you're a fan of. Invariably, there's always one Cowboys fan in there. And what happens? The other six look at that person and just sneer, just pure derision. And, and the Cowboys fan is happy about it. And there's like nothing else in life that you could actually do, like mock a complete stranger. And the person will just sit there and like, yeah, all right. I want to dig into the depth of the book, but first let's rewind out a little bit. And we've got Dave and Ben, uh, introduce yourselves. Tell us, you know, what you do, how you got here and how you got to writing this book. Just a brief intro about yourselves. Uh, I'm the SVP of, of uh, strategy analytics at Fox Sports. I've been here for about six years. Uh, my, my day job, like, like I said, is to understand fandom. And that's, that's really what my uh, job description is all about. Um, and I spent the previous, I don't know, 10, 10 years of my career as a consultant uh, doing brand strategy and consumer insights work um, and spent a lot of time in media and, and also uh, working on sports brands, which is where actually I, I, I met Dave. Yeah. So I started in the digital ad agency world, uh, then moved over to NBC, worked in their news division, which is when Ben and I met. Um, we hired a brand strategy firm, Sterling, that uh, Ben came over and we had you know, we obviously developed a, a good working relationship then. And then um, I went over to work at Madison Square Garden and Ben was a consultant we used there. And then subsequently, Ben went over to Fox Sports and I subsequently went and started my own consulting company, Dexterity Consulting. And I consult for Ben now and a few other clients in the sports space and, and outside the sports space. And we spent, we spent a lot of time talking to sports fans and, and even going back to, to Dave's days at, at MSG, we worked on the Knicks and the Rangers. Um, and so we had some, some insights kind of about fandom floating around kind of in the ether and especially after the first couple of years that I was at, at Fox. And, and, and eventually uh, we decided it, was, it would be a good idea to try and, and test some of them. And so that's where the, that's where the book came from is we, uh, we arrived at a point where we had a, a, you know, an intuition based on years of experience that to be a fan is to be a part of a community. And that is a line that works really well in a meeting. It's um, I think every fan kind of nods along at that idea because it feels intuitively true. And we thought, well, how can we how can we prove this? How can we prove this at scale? And so we spent the better part of you know eighteen months trying to figure out how to prove it, trying to figure out how we could get some some data behind that idea. And ultimately, we landed on the hypothesis: well, if to be a fan is to be a part of a community, if that's true, then fans are going to have more friends. And so we set out to test the hypothesis, do fans have more friends? And in fact, hence the book and the title of the book is Fans Have More Friends. Fans do, in fact, have more friends. Rationale for everybody out there who's, who's about to go watch a game or who's getting prepped for their fantasy league as I am. So let's start here. I know that some of the research shows that just on a scale, it, it seems somewhat like a, a miniature magic pill, right? As it relates to health, confidence, optimism. What was it about the fandom versus the non-fans specifically that you found created the biggest divide as it relates to mindset? I think the, the, the biggest thing is it's, it's really about fandom as a social lubricant, right? It greases the, the, the wheels of social interaction. And so that's where we get to this idea that 
fans have more friends. So not only do they have more friends, but they value those friendships more. They interact with those people more frequently. Same is true from, for familial relationships. So people that are that are engaged fans have uh, better relationships with their family on a, on a statistical basis. Um, mm. and, and so it's not that sports fans versus non-fans um, have these mindset differences. It's that they have more robust social lives, right? That's where the magic is. It's not some, uh, the, the sports aren't the magic pill. The sports are the gateway to human interaction. Human interaction is the thing that creates all of the, the uh, ancillary wellness benefits that fall out of, of fandom. So that's where we see increased levels of happiness. That's where we see increased levels of gratitude and satisfaction. Um, that's where we see increased levels of confidence. These are all a result, not necessarily of sports directly, but of the, of the human connection that arises because of sports. How much of it is we feel like we're on the same team? We, we played with that, and I, I certainly was dealing with that uh, working at the Nixon Rangers um, for, for that time. And it, so it does, you have that connection. You meet the person at the airport, you talk, commanders, um, talk about your frustrations, your sorrows, and you know, your hopes for the future, and you have a meaningful discussion, and you, know, you could probably talk hours there. That's a great thing. In terms of banding or whatever, um, it, it, it's less so with that because what we saw as we on our kind of the way we divide fans up in our in our data set, um, we have a way we we score our respondents based off of their um, their fan interaction. So what sports they follow, what activities they do, and one thing that we saw was that fans of the bigger the fan as as we were meeting fans in the real world. They weren't just football fans. They were also baseball fans and they followed golf and they were interested in, you had more layers to your fandom to not just being a, a commander's fan. And what we saw that that was actually the more powerful bit because in the fall, you play a commander's fan. In the winter, you play a capitals fan. And now, and now you're actually spreading your circles out. And so now if you think of this from a social perspective, you have your fall friends that you, you have your fantasy league around in the winter. You might watch the hockey with your dad and then baseball comes and that's with your dad and your grandfather and your friends from work. And then and then the cycle gets repeated over over and over. And that was the, that's actually the more the stronger force that is creating this this uh, dynamic that we see. There's other ways where fandom just being kind of part of that and identifying with it is important um, to your psyche and it's it adds something to it. So I, I don't want to say it's not meaningful, but the, the bigger thing is your the constant compounding, those constant compounding interactions. I think the other thing I would add to that is there's this, there's a, there's a, there's a desire because of the sort of um, combative nature of sports, right? Uh, sort of the head-to-head. -head, it's it's our team versus the other team. There's this there's this tendency to put that in the framework of it's us versus them. And when we think about the world of fans, and we and we go back to that, you know, the situation that you just described, um, you could be connecting with the other commanders fan over the commanders and the quarterback situation, or what's going to happen with the head coach or the offensive line. But you could just as easily have a uh, meaningful interaction with a rival Cowboy fan or a Se Seattle Seahawks fan, right? And, and I think we want to put it into these us versus them, this other, us versus them dynamic, but really it's about we, right? It's, it's this, this sort of common thing that we can all connect with. And in those individual interactions, I might be you know, connecting uh, over different elements of the game, but the game's the thing that's bringing me to, 
together with these other people and creating the room for this conversation that would otherwise not happen. No, yeah, as a Yankees fan, um, I teach my kids. I have a six and eight year old and I, I teach them that, you know, these these Red Sox fans are you know not good. And uh, we have a running joke in our household on it. But in all my kind of meeting people just out in the in the world, if I, as a Yankee fan, I meet a Red Sox fan. Our conversation is fantastic, like they because they are knowledgeable baseball fans. They watch us very closely, obsess over the Yankees, so that we have a good back and forth. And it actually, it the us of the, us versus them disappears, and it's just we're just baseball fans and that are just sharing our passion. That kind of leads me to a question I had. You know, in our world today, where there is an increased emphasis, as there should be, on connecting across lines, whether that be social lines, racial lines, wealth gaps, all that stuff. Does sports play a role in that? Is it a, is it a critical arena in this kind of um, willingness to step outside of those like us? Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I'll just, I can set the table, Dave, and then, and then hand it over. I think the, the progression that we went on in, in kind of digging into what's in the book um, is this idea of fans have more friends, and then we started to notice all of these wellness benefits that people enjoy because they have this more active social life. Where it got really interesting is when we started to look at levels of trust that people have in both other people and institutions um, and, and sort of how uh, people that are aligned with certain political parties view the other, uh, the other side of, 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 of the equation. And, and so I think uh, th this is really the journey we went on where it's, it's pretty easy to get your head around the first couple steps in this, in this journey where you go from uh, fans have more friends, they enjoy these benefits. But when we start to get into how this can actually dampen the, the effects of polarization in our society, that's where, that's where the light bulb went on for us. And we, we thought we were onto something that was really, really interesting. This is, uh, this is where, like, I think if we took it up to fans have more friends and they're happier and more confident, we don't get a book. Um, like there's some nice stories and we share so, some nice stories of different fans we met along the way to, to kind of bring some of the points to life. But really where we're adding new thought here and why, you know, going back to the earlier conversation, why sports is important in the scale, because it actually we are we are a divided country and we have two sides that feel the other side is evil. And there's not much in our lives that we actually interact with each other outside of sports. And so the. There are, there are a few points um, that were all happening in the same time as we were kind of writing, you know, researching still for the book um, during COVID. And one was on COVID. In, in April of uh, 2020, we, we put out a survey just to see how fans were feeling about everything that was going on. And I'm as sure I mean, you're, you were inundated with uh, all sorts of polling data on how Republicans and Democrats were taking the uh, um the pandemic um, differently in terms of wearing masks and social distancing. So we asked the same questions that was available in public polling, but we want to put it through our kind of our fan filter, so to speak. And what we found was, you know, initially interesting of uh, the bigger the fan you were, the more likely you were to adhere to wearing a mask and practice social distancing. But then when we separated it out between Republicans and Democrats, we saw the different levels that Democrats were rating those things higher. That was you know, widely available in public polling data. But what we saw was as a Republican, the bigger fan you were, the more likely you were to adhere to these things. Um, and you know, similar, that, that trend was already high for Democrats and, and, and progressed as well. So then you know, a few months later, the social justice protests um, 
erupt and we begin measuring um, attitudes towards the kind of protest movement and other race-based questions that we uh, borrowed from public polling. And what we saw was Democrats at a higher baseline than Republicans, but within it, within both groups, the bigger fan you are, the, the more positive your views were so to the social justice movement or to the country becoming my majority minority in 20 years or, or whatever the question we were asking. This trend line held. And so, and Brent brought up institutions uh, or, uh, or trust. And so we, we measured trust in institutions and the institutions we were measuring, you know, so the bigger the fan you are, the more trusting you are of our institutions, whether it's police, military, religious leaders, or professors, scientists, um, or in the news media. But what we saw within those groups, because those are polarized institutions, Republicans align more with um, police, military, religious leaders, and Democrats with the others. When we looked at the Republican-aligned institutions, we saw Democrats having a more favorable view, the bigger the fan they were. And then consequently for the Democratic-aligned institutions, even the news media, the bigger the fan the Republican was, um, the, the more positive their views were. They were still low as a baseline, but the movement is what was interesting. The movement is what compelled us to to dig further. I had a friend of mine who said, I have to stop playing fantasy football because of the negative implications it has on my weekend and my happiness. You know what I mean? I mean, there are times when I feel like I'm more upset than the players who actually lost the game. What is it about this identification that is so important and how does it kind of uh, play into what you write about. In short, uh, the reason we get, we engage so deeply in sports is because many of the relationships we have around us are predicated, galvanized by that sport. So uh, the way that we think about this is, is it's, a, it's a bit of a flywheel, the way that fandom works. And so what happens is you engage in fan activities. You play fantasy football. Uh, you might lay some bets on some sports. You'll watch some games. You'll buy some merchandise. You'll go to some games. You'll do all of those things, right? And the more you engage, the more positive feedback you get from your social networks around you. Um, now, it could be intimate relations. It could be your family. It could be your friends, close friends. It could also just be like the barista uh, at the coffee shop in the morning is wearing a Dodgers hat and you strike up a conversation that way. But you're constantly getting this positive feedback of social interaction. And that's really the thing that drives us and, and, and propels us further and deeper into our fan passion. Um, and then we get to a point where it's just so ingrained in our identity that we really feel those emotions, right? Um, we, we, we feel it just like we're part of the team. In fact, you know, the joke is like, are, you know, are you a, a, a we type of person, right? Are you, is it, is it when you talk about your team, is it a we uh, or is it the team? And of course, you know, I'm not on the Denver Broncos. I grew up in Colorado. Uh, but when I talk about the Denver Broncos, it's always a we, you know, we're going to be good this year uh, because it's so ingrained in, in who I am as a person. But it's only ingrained in who I am as a person because so many of my relationships are predicated upon the Denver Broncos, right? When I call, I have three brothers uh, and, and my father. When we get on the phone, the first thing we talk about is the Denver Broncos, right? The reason that we'll text on Sunday is the Denver Broncos. Now, someone could look at that and say, maybe that's not a very healthy relationship, which maybe that's true. Uh, but without the Denver Broncos, we're certainly not having those interactions. And right. so when, when, you, when you think about the, the teams we follow, the sports that we follow in these terms, they become a centerpiece of the social networks that we have, and we're inherently social people. And I think that that's the thing that we have to remember here is that, that we're sort of driven to connect. And this is just a, a very, very uh, easy means of connection uh, that we can all kind of take advantage of. And it's fun. And it's, it's drama. Fun. Right. And, and the other thing, even the... Um, 
you, you mentioned your friend, and I had this feeling also when I stopped playing fantasy football years ago, but now, you know, living, living the art or actual book, I, I have to do it. It's uh, I'm compelled to do it is uh, you get to experience a variety of emotions around this, that there's, there's negative emotions and there's positive emotions. There's, you could be introspective. Um, you can be hopeful there. And these things are, you share with other people. There's not many things you can do in life where you get this range of emotions, which is just overall beneficial to your kind of social well-being and your interactions with other people. And, you know, and to, you know, Ben's example of like, that's all they're talking about. You know, maybe that's not healthy. It's like, but they are talking about other things. Like they are like they, these, how, you know, did you, what do you think about um, the, the Broncos this year is code for how are you doing? What's going on? You know, how are the kids? Um, all those things, which those questions do follow, but that's just an easier, easier in there. Right. Yeah. And, Ben, I want to get back to something you said about how you said, you know, first conversation I have with my dad, my brothers, is going to be about the Broncos. And you said, you might say that's not a healthy relationship, et cetera. My guess is you definitely would not say that based on the book. So uh, leaving aside the ease at which it allows us to connect for somebody that says, well, what about more meaningful things or, or real things or important things? What would you say to them? I, I'm practical. I'm, I'm more of a realist. Um, are there things that matter more in the world that we could be spending our time in, engaging around? Sure. But the reality is like, there's a lot of friction uh, created by those topics uh, or those interests, or they're so niche that I can't actually share that in a meaningful way with a lot of people around me. And, and, and again, it comes back to this idea of scale. Sports, I can share with a lot of people around me. And so as a result of that, uh, that, that we we can generate a lot more social interaction because of sports. Um, and, and, and so I, I think one of the things that we want to do is kind of change the narrative around around sports and fandom and, and move on from this stereotype of like the the, the, the trivialized bro-ish face painter and, and really focus the attention on all of the meaningful human interaction that's happening around sports. You know, for every face painter who's boorish in the stands, if you just flip the camera you know, uh, it, it, later in the section or further down the, down the row in the section, you're going to see uh, father-daughter interactions. You're going to see brothers interacting. You're going to see high school friends interacting. You're going to see a lot of really positive stuff happening uh, because of sports. Um, and, we, and yet the, the, the oxygen is kind of sucked up by this idea that it's a bunch of trivial, you know, bros kind of uh, drinking beer and, and, and backstopping each other. What was the most surprising thing you learned as you went through this? For me and... and um, I think David and I might share this. It was really the the, the noticeable uptick in trust among among sports fans. Um, that's the thing that I think really um, signaled to us that we were onto something that was it was more profound than maybe we would have thought. Um, the the idea that um, I'm more engaged in the community around me because of sports um, that felt like we were kind of pushing the 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 edges of of the impact that that, that fandom could have. But when we got into this idea, we, we, and we see the data, we see it very clear in the data that, that fans uh, trust people around them uh, and, and trust institutions more, um, it really made us understand that sports are changing how people see the world around them. Uh, and and that's, that's something that's really, really, really powerful. And there's not a lot of tools that we have, um, again, that, that operate at scale that can really change the population um, in, in ways that sports can. Yeah, I would agree. I, it's the, you know, Ben, as we were in the early days dreaming of the book, 
um, which we didn't know what it was and didn't know what we were going to write about. But we like we we were doing work and it was quite interesting and we were spending a lot of time with sports fans. We had stories to tell. Um, where I think we found our our purpose, our mission, or whatever was when we were digging into that. You know, once COVID hit and we were you know testing some of these fault lines in our culture and got getting to see how sports fa- sports fandom can even penetrate into there. Um, that again was surprising and also just you know added that you know our refrain is it's good for you good for others good for society but that good for society piece was uh was something you can't say um for for many other things do people give you pushback when you say good for society when we're talking about sports i mean an episode we just recently released was about status and we're talking about the things people value and one of them is moral status right so that could be religion but it could also be health and wellness just the moral status do you, do you get people who say, oh, come on, this, to your point, Ben, it doesn't really matter. And you're ultimately saying the sport itself might not matter, but look at the way it impacts people. Yes. That, I think that's the most important thing. I, I, one, we get a lot of pushback. We get a lot of naysayers kind of, they want to push those lines. I, the, the, the reality is like one thing we haven't talked that much about is we, we have a very robust data set. This isn't just some polling that we've done, you know, once or twice, you know, we spent a few years uh, amassing a trove of data that's, that's 60,000 people big. Um, and the consistency with which we see the numbers fall out the way that they do um, is, is amazing. And so we're talking about double digit increases in happiness, belonging, gratitude, uh, 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 gratitude, satisfaction. Um, you you really, if you if you look at the numbers, there's no way that you could say that this isn't a big deal. Um, it's just it's it, it's 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 not. We're not talking about a few uh, points here or there. We're talking about um, dramatically changing a person's well being, and uh, we're advocates for that. We're advocates for more well being. I think that and there's it's hard to find somebody who's on the other side of that that argument. Yeah, it's almost as if you could say, in this case, we're equating or we're aligning sports to a lot of things like meditation or something, right? It's what is the result we get from it? Let's remove for a moment to look at it apples to apples. Let's remove the thing, especially considering the thing in and of itself is helpful for a lot of reasons, team building, exercise, you know, kids playing sports, et cetera. You mentioned the data set. How do you define a fan? It's really... um tricky. Uh, we've, we've, we've developed a fairly simple process, but the, the industry standard that we kind of came from was we would just ask people, are you a big fan or not? Um, and someone would say, yeah, I'm an avid fan. And someone would say, no, I'm a casual fan. And that was, we had sort of like two pretty uh, crude buckets that we would put people in. And the, the reality is we didn't get very good results because we weren't uh, being very precise in how we measured fandom. And so what we wanted to do was develop a system that took your passion into account. So we asked people, are you, are you a big fan? And they say yes or no, and it's self-reported. Um, but we also wanted to connect that passion to action. And that's really where you, like the proof's in the pudding. Uh, if you feel emotionally compelled, uh, if you feel passionate about uh, a sport or a team, you're going to then do some things that require money and time as a result of that passion. And if you don't do those things, then you're not really a fan. You're just paying lip service to the idea. And so what we've done is we've developed a scale that allows us to measure people uh, on their fandom based on what they're doing, as well as how they feel about the sports in question. Yeah. And so, and so basically the, uh, the non-fan group is, is 
basically doing nothing in terms of our battery. You know, so one, you know, one cutoff point is just in, in terms of uh, your TV viewing, in terms of viewing different genres of TV. If you're not watching sports, it, it's, it would be hard to say you're a fan. Now, you might follow here or there, and we allow for, because in, in many of our surveys, we're, we're, we're not throwing anyone out, so to speak. Um, we're, we're allowing non-fans in there, and then we kind of grade them a, across this scale um, from a non-fan to a, you know, what we call a high-value fan in the book. Where, where do you all f- fall on the fan spectrum? We're both high-value fans. We're both, uh, we're both fairly engaged, I think. Yeah. And even more so now, like, you know, there, there was a time where I can kind of relate. You were talking about uh, your, your, your buddy a few, a few minutes ago who had to opt out of a few fantasy leagues, you know, stop with some of the pick and pools or whatever that might be. It was just demanding too much time or, or sort of attention. Um, and I can relate to that idea. And then you see the data, right? And you see your phone light up with texts on a Sunday um, from a group of college buddies or high school buddies or whoever that might be. And you realize what's actually going on and you realize how good it is for you to have those, again, trivial interactions and how good it is for them that you're replying to the text thread as well. Um, and that's when, you know, if I was ever waning and, and losing the faith, I've recovered that uh, with with this book. Yeah. At this point, we know too much um, to because yeah, I, I was also waiting a bit and, you know, work and you know, I just had kids and yeah, I was probably down on that. But now my, my boys are old enough and we live Yankees and live and breathe Yankees in our household that they're, they're into it. And, you know, the most connected time in our home um, now is seven o'clock uh, when, uh, when the Yankees start. Well, yeah. We're all the together. Network, the family. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they love, uh, they love Michael K. Um, and, it's because even like I had a feeling, you know, the Yankees have been playing well this last month and it's just been frustrating top, you know, it's a established pattern over years that this, this is what happens with this team. And, you know, I'm coming home. I was like, I don't even want to bother. But then I, you know, took the philosophy of the book. I was like, no, my kids are there. Like I like this, that's, it's not about them and them not hitting or whatever. It's about us watching together and them peppering me with questions about baseball. And that is that's what's making the positive. That's what's making us happy. That's what's making us feel connected. There's other things that we could do that as a family, but as my wife, who is not a fan, um, has kind of seen this happen now that we've tried other things. Nothing has worked like, like sports has. And Chris, if I, if I, if I may just jump in here, cause we, you've talked about your kids. I have a couple of kids as well. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I think about take sports aside for a second, you know, one of the things that I really hope for my, my kids as they grow up is that they are able to find, deep, meaningful friendships. Like, I think it's a really important part of, of leading a fulfilling life. Um, and, uh, you know, I, one of the things you're doing, so you're, you're indoctrinating your, your kids into, into the, you took the, went to the Nats game. Dave's doing the same with the, with the Yankees. Uh, I just had a daughter recently. And, and the first thing that she got from my, uh, my dad, her, her grandfather was like the, the Broncos onesie. Um, one of the things that we're doing, it, it's not just kind of bringing them into this tribe of, of fans, we're actually giving them the tools that they need and can use to go create connection out in the world. And, and I think it's, it's really important if you, if you change your perspective as a parent on what fandom can, can be and what it can do, I think it's a gift that you definitely want to give to your kids. That's an interesting perspective, actually. And I'll tell you where it aligns with me. I just took my, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. I just took my seven-year-old ice skating. And it's the first time he'd been on ice in, I don't know, four years. We were having a blast and, and I saw some other 
older kids around and they didn't really know how to skate. And I was with a, a friend and his son. And I said, you know why I want my son to learn how to skate? And he said, why? I said, because at 16, I want him to be able to come and, and, and skate proficiently and like go with his friends. Like the more things he can do, the more opportunities for connection. I don't care. That could be play a trumpet. That could be sewing. I, I genuinely don't care. Right. But the more exposure, and this is kind of the equivalent, but in a, it's not the, the physical element. It's the mental or emotional connection, allowing for you to be part of the tribe of more people, which gives you more social, social connection, social ability. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it just in activity terms, you're absolutely right. You're basically by, by, um, handing off these, these activities to your, your kids, you're giving them ways that they can go connect with people in the world and, and ways that, you know, hobbies they can engage in with other people. Those hobbies can galvanize relationships in much the same way that sports can. Sports is just another thing, kind of, uh, another healthy habit to develop that helps you generate more friendships, uh, and connect and more sort of connection, which then leads to all these positive things, uh, both in their lives currently, uh, you know, as children and teens, which is some data that we're digging into now, but also later in life. Um, as they're, as they move out of that, that time where they're, they're really playing and really watching. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Cause we all stop playing at some point. Do we, to, do we have to, to? to? well, yeah, it's a, at least playing try not basketball. To, but, oh, yeah. basketball. Come on. Ba I'll tell you that sport doesn't get enough credit on how dangerous it is. I, I, basketball is the first one I gave up, honestly. Then it was flag football. Then it was hockey. And now what's left is softball and golf. So <laughs> And the beauty of basketball, like I, I've, you know, told my, you know, we joke at our house of like, they, they love playing baseball. They haven't got into playing basketball yet. And in terms of like a social sport, there's nothing better of walking to a park and complete strangers. Okay, let's go play two on two, one on one, whatever it is. And you, you, you can do it anywhere um, with, with relative ease. Well, Dave and Ben, I appreciate it. I think it's a really unique take. I think the human element behind it. Um, and talking about connection, I mean, a long, long time ago, we interviewed Brene Brown and, and she was one of the first to really highlight to me the importance of human connection and then doing it through the guise of sports, which, you know, sometimes gets a bad rap. Oh, you're just sitting around. I mean, my first son was born on Masters Sunday. So my connection is I remember watching the Masters on about a 12 inch TV in the hospital well, my wife's in labor going like, you're all right. Okay, we're good. And then getting back to it. So point is it connects us a lot across a lot of things. And, uh, and I appreciate it. Your book that I have pulled up here is called fans have more friends. It's coming out uh, right when we air this. And I just wanted to turn it over to you and say, where would you like to uh, guide our listeners? Are there more places you're writing or more places they can learn about this? You can follow us on our, uh, on our website, fans have more friends.com. We can sign up for our newsletter. Um, and we will be publishing a lot of this data uh, on Twitter as well. This week's guests were Ben Valenta and David Sickerjack. It was hosted, as always, by Chris Stemp and produced by yours truly, John Rojas. Ben and David's book, Fans Have More Friends, will be available on November 15th, wherever books are sold. All right, let's jump into the quick housekeeping items. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website, 
and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up. And we'll see you all next episode.